Well, thank you for joining us on this episode of Liberty Dispatch Interviews. We have a very special interview with a number of different people today. Before we get into that, though, what we want to say is it was around this time last year that Bill C-4 received royal assent, and then early in January, it became law. And if you remember, Bill C-4 is the bill that basically says the Christian ideas about marriage and sexuality are myths and stereotypes, and that propagating these myths and stereotypes above and beyond accepting transgenderism or other sexual orientations, if you will, that this was a crime now, that the because the criminal code was amended, you could see jail time and, and large fines for telling someone who is a man who says, I feel like I'm a woman, <clears throat> saying to him, well, no, you, you are a man and you should obey God and you should be faithful to how he's designed you to be, that that's now a crime. So what we did at the Liberty Coalition Canada in conjunction with other churches and pastors and organizations is that we committed to preaching on the Sunday after it actually became law, a marriage, uh, a sermon on biblical marriage and sexuality that we titled Biblical Sexuality Sermon Sunday. This was last year. There were thousands of churches across North America that joined the initiative, and we were overwhelmed with the support and with the fruit. And so the interview that we're going to show you is actually the fruit of that. We'll hear a story about one such church where this sermon was preached and how God used that to radically transform the life of one family in particular. And so the interview that we're going to show you with Pastor Matt Rowan and Scott and Lori and their daughter Sarah is, is truly amazing stuff. Before we get into that, though, what I would want to say is that we're planning on doing that again this year. And really every year annually on the anniversary of Bill C-4 becoming law in Canada that we are going to preach a sermon on a biblical sexual ethic and God's design for marriage and sexuality. And so our plan this year is to have our Biblical Sexuality Sunday on January the 15th, 2023. And we would invite you, as we did last year, if, you are, if you're a pastor or a preacher, to join us on that Sunday and preach a sermon on a biblical sexual ethic on God's design for marriage. And if you do so, you can let us know about it so that we can know who joined in so that we can actually have a list of who to follow up with. The best thing to do is to go to our website, libertycoalitioncanada.com. And when you click on the initiatives tab, underneath you will see a Biblical Sexuality Sunday option. When you click on that, there will be a brief description of what the initiative is and why we're doing it, why it is we're doing it again this year. And on the right-hand side, you have an opportunity to fill out your information. So this isn't just for any individual. This isn't just for a church in general. But that form is specifically for those who participate. So if you're a pastor, if you're a preacher, and you commit to and you plan on preaching on God's good design for marriage and sexuality on January 15th, please fill out that form. You can put your name, your church name, a website, and a link to your sermon. It'll be a part of a, a private list. It's not something we're just going to blow out publicly, but so that we can have a copy of who to follow up with so that we can see how many people joined us in this initiative. And we do it for two reasons. One, because we believe that the Word of God is powerful to change lives, as you're about to see in the interview, which is rather amazing, but also by way of protest to say to our civil government that laws like these, unlawful, evil laws must be repealed. And we will preach and we will contest until such a thing as that happens. And so, again, libertycoalitioncanada.com, click on Initiatives, Biblical Sexuality Sunday, all the infos there. We really, really hope you join, and we really hope that you were blessed by this interview that we had with the Harback family. So one of the pastors, one of the faithful brothers in our country who participated in this initiative and who actually reached out to us at the Liberty Coalition Canada is Matt Rowan. Matt has been in pastoral ministry for more than 20 years. Growing up in a Christian home, it was while serving alongside his youth pastor that Matt sensed God's call to pastoral ministry and headed off to Bible college for training. That's what we're supposed to do. It was there that Matt met his wife, Lisa, and he was doubly successful during Bible college. He got a degree and a wife, 
Uh, I only got my degree. The Lord provided my wife years <laughs> later. But uh, it's not uncommon for that to happen. After serving in churches in Powell River and Surrey, in 2004, the Lord led Matt and Lisa back to his hometown on the Sunshine Coast, where he served in youth ministry until he became the lead pastor of Christ the King Community Church in 2007. I love the name. That's that's what we're about. Christ mm-hmm. yeah. as King, supreme over all things. Matt's passions in the ministry centers on the teaching of God's Word and the focus of the Great Commission to make disciples. Matt and Lisa have three kids and live in the beautiful seaside village of Gibson's, British Columbia. Matt, brother, thank you so much for joining us today. It is great to have you with us on this special episode of The Dispatch. Thanks. I appreciate the invite, you guys, and appreciate the work that you're doing, and it's really good to connect with you this way. Absolutely. Well, Matt, tell us a little bit about your involvement with Biblical Sexuality Sermon Sunday. How is it that you heard about it or found out about it? And from that, you could maybe launch into why it is, uh, and briefly, don't want to give up too much of the story, but why it is that you reached out to us at the Liberty Coalition Canada. Um, Yeah, so my connection with Liberty Coalition happened, I guess, uh, somehow online, or I saw one of the pastors connected to you guys with the Open Your Churches initiative. And so I got on the website, I uh, saw that, I read the Niagara Dec- Declaration. I thought, oh, this is good stuff. These are these are men that I want to connect with in their heart to serve Jesus across our country. And so I signed off our church on the Niagara Declaration. We signed uh onto the Open Your Churches initiative. And so then at that point, you know, I was just getting emails from uh, Liberty and then uh, the biblical sexuality uh, initiative came along and uh, all the all the things that were happening in our nation with Bill C4 and the and the progression there, the things we're seeing in our community, our desire to be faithful to the Lord Jesus and to declare the values of the Word of God. And uh, I said, man, we want to participate in this. So I thought it was really exciting to see, what was it, over 300 churches across Canada and then thousands join us in the U.S. to stand beside their Canadian brothers. And uh, yeah, it was just really encouraging to to be shoulder to shoulder with men across the country that want to faithfully declare the word of God. So uh, many months after participating in Biblical Sexuality Sunday, we just began to see some fruit uh, in our church that we were totally unaware of. I didn't, I didn't know there was some, you, you know, folks present that were dealing with things that we were discussing, you know, and I'm, I'm really thankful for that because uh, I mean, you don't want to do these things, but in your human nature, you, you hedge your bets a little bit. When you get around people, you you you, you put on the brakes uh, when you know things, even sometimes as a pastor in the pulpit. And and uh, so uh, I got up, shared the word of God, and many months later, uh, some information came to me. And when I heard it, I, I, I literally uh, felt like I was going to fall out of my chair. So... Uh, I wanted to encourage you guys because I was so thankful for the initiative that um, I thought uh, Liberty Coalition needs to hear uh, fruit from a small town in Canada. What's come out of um, this this initiative and churches just seeking to be faithful. And so that's where I reached out to you guys. Absolutely. And we are thankful to be joined also by the family who's a part of this this amazing fruit that you're talking about, Pastor Matt, that um, out of your faithfulness to preach the Word of God in this area, uh, lives have been changed. And we want to bring on Steve and Lori Harbach and their, their daughter, Sarah, to talk about this story of transformation. So Steve, Lori, and Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on the Liberty Dispatch. Thanks, Thanks for, for having us. Thanks for having us. Absolutely, guys. So maybe let's start, uh, Steve and Lori. Can you tell us how did your family get connected with Matt and his church? How did you guys initially come across what he was doing? Because that's kind of the start of the story, eh? Is you guys got connected up with the church, and then from there, the rest is is history, to use a cliche. Yeah, well, uh, we... 
had someone from the church come in uh, as a customer in my shop named Tim and uh, he was wearing the t-shirt from church and I said I liked it and uh, we got to discussing that and I had said that my family and I were quite lonely because the churches have been shut down for so long and we got to talking about how church should be before government and Tim had mentioned that they are going to church and we were quite surprised that it was opened so uh, I asked my family if they wanted to go down and so we went down and fell in love with the church and and uh, with Matt he's an incredible pastor uh, really knows his stuff and I find that it's quite engaging and captivating um, so that's how we got to going uh, that's how we came here yeah, so so it's 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 beautiful to hear that the same reason that Matt got connected with Liberty Coalition in the first place with the Open the Church initiative in God's providence is the very reason that you guys ended up going to his church. So I I just love the, the that it's serendipitous that beautiful connection, right? Uh, so so that that's great to hear. So after uh, that Sunday, so it would have been the second or maybe the third Sunday, I think it was January the 16th was the Sunday where we had committed to preaching uh, a message that revolved around God's design for uh, sexuality and, and marriage, a biblical sexual ethic. So after that sermon is preached in your church on Sunday, tell us a little bit about you reaching out to Matt. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what it is that you approached him with and, and the discussion, which ultimately is kind of what led to Matt reaching out to us, kind of the story that he brought. Um, if you want to tell us a little bit about that. Um, so I talked to a friend that goes to the church um, outside of church, and he encouraged me to come to Sunday prayer uh, Sunday evening, and so I showed up and told our story um, about what was going on in our lives, and he kind of helped me through that, and uh, yeah, that's where Matt first heard the story, uh, that um, we were going through this situation, uh, that and that the sermon really helped us and helped, helped Sarah um, getting through some of her problems at the time. It was a very powerful sermon, and I had been praying for a long time on how to address this with Sarah, um, who was dean at the time, and I, I came to the fact that I couldn't protect my daughter from scripture in a way that wouldn't be truthful, so we discussed it, but uh, I... Uh, I wasn't really good at explaining it too well. And then we went to the sermon and then I looked over at my daughter and I saw her tearing up and I said, do you want to go in the back room and talk? And when we went back there, we discussed what Matt had preached. And I said, I, I can't protect you from the truth. And this is the scripture. And I will love you no matter what, um, but it comes down to you making the decision um, whether you're going to follow the scripture because it's it's very clear, and no matter how we try to twist it, it is um, God's word, and we have to we have to obey it if we're going to actively be following God and calling ourselves Christians. And so she said she'd take some time to think about it and pray on it. And then a couple of days later, we ended up getting our daughter back. Amazing. Amazing. So, Matt, that's kind of, uh, you know, when you embarked on this journey, when you wanted to be biblically faithful in just proclaiming what God says about human sexuality, um, about his created distinctions and the proper role of male and female, husband and wife in, in creation... Did you know that there was people that were people in your church who were struggling through gender confusion, um, who were struggling with a lot of the stuff that you were going to be touching on in the sermon? Or was that unbeknownst to you? So maybe answer that question and then tell a little bit about like what was the content of your, your, your sermon that, that, that you brought on that Biblical Sexuality Sermon Sunday. 
Yeah, sure. Um, I guess I guess I was a I was aware on one level because just culturally speaking in Canada, it's like you know we got a church full of teenagers, kids that are in public school. It's like I know everybody in the room is wrestling through this issue. Uh, was I aware that uh, Sarah was in the room and that was happening? I I wasn't, and that was amazing. You know, um, yeah. I, I hope it's okay for me to say this, Sarah, but Sarah had come to men's breakfast. She'd been going to young adults and participating in our young adults ministry and our young adults leader didn't even know. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I was unaware. And so, um, it was, it was, it was just really exciting in that sense to find this out afterwards, because like I said, I'm, I may have hedged a bit and I, I just say that honest, Lee, in my own humanness, you're seeking to be faithful, uh, to speak with courage and to share the word of God. And it, and it does feel like you're stepping out on a limb to do that. Uh, but we want to be, we want to be faithful. And so we have to, we have to take those risks. So I knew there were folks struggling. I knew that I'd probably face some pushback. Um, but I also knew this. A lot of people in our church were thankful for a pastor to stand up in the pulpit and uh, share these truths. And so that's where I would speak to pastors to encourage them. You know, your, your people are longing for you just to be faithful. That's what they want. They want to hear the word of God proclaimed. They want to hear men that are faithful to Jesus, that care about the glory of God and care about speaking truth. And that may feel risky, but man, I would encourage you to step out and do it. And so yeah, that Sunday, um, of course, I'd listened to some of the, the podcasts that Liberty had uh, put out and some of the men that are connected with that. I'd listened to the interview with uh, John MacArthur. Uh, I'd gone gone to some other churches to see how things had been addressed. So I did some and, and did study on my own. And so um, in that sermon, addressed a little bit of, of C4, the change to the Canadian uh, criminal code, what was what was coming down essentially that in our nation, it was now, you know, illegal to be teaching these things that the word of God was being proclaimed as uh, myth and and legend, and that we had to be faithful uh, to teach them. And so, yeah, I just spoke to uh, the the design of God's creation in the image of man and woman, and uh, the covenant of marriage where God has. Uh, designed sex to be expressed between a man and a woman. And we made our journey through uh, some scriptures from Genesis uh, into Corinthians, first, first Corinthians, and uh, just hit on that, some of that stuff. So, you know, um, not truths that should be unfamiliar to those who are in the church, um, just the word of God and God's design in creation for man and woman. Awesome and and keeping keeping your church open. It's it's yeah. it just it yeah. it blows my mind the the claims that pastors who would keep their churches open in defiance of these lawless mandates need to be concerned about the harm to their witness and the effect that it has on the the general public that don't you don't you want to be winsome and then this is just another story of no 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 when we obey god forget about being liked and ingratiating ourselves to the culture it's actually the most effective witness the the the, the best thing we can do is to say that we will obey god even when it's difficult and costly and simply keeping your church open funny enough became like that was the best evangelistic tactic of 2020 and 2021 was not closing your church. Some so simple and yet so profound at the same time. And I'm thankful for for you and for your church in 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 standing bold and firm in that. Mm-hmm. Um you know Sarah I'm I'm so thankful that you're you're with us on the call and I'm you know like I said before we started recording it, most of all I'm grateful for the grace and kindness that our Lord has shown you. Um, and we were we are all recipients of God's mercy all all the time. Every every time we breathe, that's a gift from Him. Every time we blink and our eyes don't dry out, that's a gift from Him. So there are countless mercies from God. Um, but we are you know especially thankful for uh, the kindness that He has shown to you. Tell us a little bit about 
kind of your journey in this and and feel free to share as much or as little length or detail as possible. There's no kind of script or set here, but we'd love to hear a little bit about your journey in this. And if I heard your dad correctly, you were in the church as well when you heard this sermon. So it's not like they had to come and report back to you. So you were there hearing the word of God speaking like a sword that it, that, that, that divides or... Uh, or like the, you know, as Spurgeon used to say, the word of God is um, the anvil that smashes against men and their wills, that it, that it has this incredible uh, effect. And so tell us a little bit about, yeah, your story, your journey leading up to and including this, this Sunday and this, you know, kind of what transpired. Well, I just remember, you know, I'd been... I guess I wasn't really thinking to that degree. I mean, I'd heard some things from my parents, but there was always outside voices like, oh, well, maybe it means this, like maybe the scripture is actually saying that, or it can't be this for sure, or the Bible has been tampered with. It's like, no, it hasn't. And I think I was on antidepressants, so it was like no matter what was said to me, I would kind of just bounce back and be okay but I got to this point where I'm like you know what I have I have internal things I need to deal with and it's not healthy to have that suppressed medically so I think once I went off that medication I started thinking and I've been praying on it for a while like you know if if this is not okay if this is not okay for me to be doing Lord help me because I don't want to be doing anything that is against God's word. And I, but I'd also reached this point where I would look into it and like online and there was no support. A lot of friends I had were kind of iffy about me or just awkward. And most of all, I had this feeling like it's, it's too late to go back. That's the main feeling I had. And I would just like look in the mirror some days and I'd have this like panic, dark feeling and I just suffocated it and snuffed it out because I was like what can I do and I think when I went to that sermon I it was almost like all those words were like directed at me in a way where I just yeah it was like that sword came down that anvil hit me and I was just there and I was like kind of panicking because I think that was the first time those words really reached me and no matter if I tried to think well maybe it could be perceived as you know if these people are doing this for some sort of sexual reason and I was like well I know I'm not but at the same time I didn't know a hundred percent if what I was doing was okay and even if there was like a 1% that it wasn't, I still couldn't do that because I, I don't know, I just went in the back room, talked to my dad, and he was, yeah, as he said, I love you no matter what, and this is something you got to think on. I can't protect you from scripture. And so I just, I prayed on it, and I was like, if if there's something, if this is not okay, I can't do it. And I just, I just want to be who I was created to be. And then I remember the following church day I went, um, I forget the word, communion, there was communion. And, you know, people go up and get, get the, the wine and the bread. And I was kind of just sitting there and I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it because I still went as Dean. And I just, I was like, if I take this and I'm refreshing myself, I'm still going to be doing what I was doing 10 seconds before, which is living as somebody I'm not supposed to be living as. And I just, I knew there, I was like, this, this is different. I I can't do this anymore. And I think it, it kind of just snapped for me one day and it changed. And I'm like, you know, what, what if I want to get married? What if I want kids? And then I'd been on these, hormones for like five years and I never had therapy because I we couldn't find it or afford it and it's just so mind-blowing to me that these people follow the money and they they don't care about people like me I'm just a paycheck to them Mm -hmm. whereas 
this community, this church cares about me no matter who I am, what I'm doing, what I'm going through, and they'll always have my back in helping me through that. Whereas, you know, as much as that other community can say they're loving and hold out their open arms to you, the moment you don't follow their narrative, the moment you threaten that narrative, you are nothing to them. And that kind of says what a lot of those people are like, you know, and I, I've never seen a shred of that, that hate or feeling here. It's just been love and kindness, and I'm really grateful to be a part of that, and I don't even think I've been able to wrap my head around all the kind things everyone has done and said, and it means the world to me to be able to find a family here. Mm -hmm. that's that's amazing sarah i am so blessed by as i said like i just when matt sent the email kind of explaining your guy's story i like i just i i absolutely just sat at my computer wept uh praised god for his kindness um and his mercy to you and and the fact that like what are we talking about we're talking about the ordinary means of grace keeping churches open the communion of saints gathering with the the, the host of heaven in worship on sundays uh, coming together to love each other the the pastor as a mouthpiece of god speaking his word proclaiming his word that word working in the lives of human beings we're not talking about electric shock therapy we're just talking about the truth of god bearing in on the lives of individuals and that's unfortunately what C4 doesn't want to happen i am so thankful for your story because the very thing that our ungodly antichrist government is trying to prevent from people from experiencing is the very instrument that god used to change your life so that's why i just wept and i i praise the lord for the fact that he could work in this way in your life and when we talk about big costs what greater cost than the cost that you had to bear to make Christ the Lord of your heart in every area of your life? And I just praise God that he convicted you of this sin in this way that you said, put everything else aside. I want to obey Christ and his word. And I just, I mean, I can't say enough about how just beautiful the story of redemption is and i'm so thankful that you've um come on to share this story now when we're speaking of costs and just uh, how did this change your life were you, were you kind of one foot in the church one foot in the lgbtq plus community uh when you were going to church or like you you talked about the fracturing of relationships within that community how did that all come to pass like were people receptive to you and the, the things that you were experiencing when you were feeling this conviction of sin or was it basically like you said the second you're not going to fit into our narrative the second you're not going to go along with us in the ride you're a pariah you're outside of our community it well, people are different, but I, I did get a little bit of both where I kind of, I was never, I guess, completely molded into that community where there was a lot of things I would disagree with that, or I didn't really want to make it my life, you know, where pride parades or rainbows or, or openly being at the time like, oh, I'm a trans man and kind of holding that as prideful and having people pat me on the back. I didn't, I didn't like that. And I don't think I really knew why until recently. I just, it's, it's dangerous because if you take a kid who maybe hasn't gotten a lot of that attention and then all of a sudden you're patting them on the back and being like, oh, we're so proud of you and strangers come up and do this then the other kids see that and they're like, oh, well, I want this attention too. And it's just, and then like, I don't know, getting into the schools. And as I kind of have said to a few people, there's a fine line between raising awareness and indoctrination because it's like all these people have had this 
one side of the story to tell or they they don't want to hurt your feelings and i think that is very dangerous when people are just following their heart or to end doing that with other people because i feel like if you genuinely love and care about somebody you're gonna take them aside lovingly and be like hey just so you know and talk to them but yeah i i kind of had a foot in the door of that community where i had like i had a couple friends but i think throughout the covid years and then the detransitioning i think like they had already pulled back a little and then just pulled back all the way cuz you know uh a lot of people would be like oh well does that mean you don't support this anymore and i'm like it, you know they if you say no i don't support that then they take that as a stab but they don't get that's like no matter who or what somebody is i i love them and i care about them and i want the best for them and i think that goes for all of us here and, oh absolutely yeah yeah yeah, so so it's yeah, cuz the, the often the line that is used if if you're not going to go along with this gender uh confusion with people transitioning, you're trying to erase their existence, right? Uh, um but that's not what we're trying to do at all. We're calling every person no matter their sin to obey Christ and put him as enthrone him as the rightful king of their heart in every area of their life and that goes for everybody of every sexual pro uh, sexual background or or what what have you the call is the same to everybody um but obviously in your case it's uniquely um this sermon was uniquely touching on issues of sin that you were experiencing and you, you were struggling through. Um, so you mentioned five years before transitioning. It, can you talk, if, if you want to, if you would share, how did that all come to pass? Was uh, I'm sure it was a difficult time in your life. Maybe you can talk about some of, like you said, uh, in our culture that rewards that type of behavior, was there things that you saw that said, hey, you know, there there is affirmation to be found in this community? Um, what what are some of the things that kind of led you to these feelings? Um, it was a combination of things, honestly. Like, I kind of, I'd like to do all the things that the typical guys would do, like, video games or kind of playing sports at school and then there was a lot of i guess exclusion for me like they would have their thing even like with family members like my brother could like get taken out fishing or hunting and i'd be like hey i want i want to go too i want to do stuff like that and i think that was a big thing for me. And then I, it was also, you know, where I never really, I never really wanted to do what the girls did. So I never had a lot of female friends and I had a lot of, a lot of boys. And then I think puberty hits and then I'm like, wait, no, these are like, these are my homies. These are like my brothers. I don't like, I think it was just, I didn't like, being looked at that way and I had been through something traumatic maybe a month before I kind of came out as trans and it was basically like I just whatever it was I did not want to be looked at as a woman and that I think that was a big escape for me and I, I don't even think I wanted to like admit that to myself that that would ever be a factor i i think at the time i thought it was just finally like yep i'm done with this i've been wanting this to do this for a while but i didn't know what it was until it was maybe i think grade eight when some trans man had come to the, the high school and done some big talk about it and been like, you know, I'm happy. I've never been more happy with these changes and I'm finally who I am. And 
then they kind of had like some meetings and welcomed us into this community and I went for a few meetings but it's like I myself didn't really look for that affirmation and comfort it was just like I didn't want to make it who I was I just wanted I wanted people who would hear me and see me like I would see other people when they're depressed or they needed to talk but I don't think I had a lot of friends that really saw that and yeah and it 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 what you're saying highlights something that we all know and and it's a big part of why we why we endeavor to have the kind of ministries and relationships and lives that we do and it has everything to do with one of the claims that is leveled in this discussion is people in the trans community the lgbt Q, 2, S, plus, it's, things are added to it. Pe people who are in that kind of self-identification category, look at the high amounts or the high percentage of suicidality or mental illness, and they'll say the problem is because they're not accepted. They're not culturally accepted because they're rejected by their family, and this is why you see suicide rates and mental illness. But something that you've, you've highlighted, which we know to be true, is the reason why there is such anguish and turmoil is because this is what happens in the life of a person when they legitimately wrestle with, struggle, deny, and act against the way God has designed things to be. That's where the struggle comes from. Mm -hmm. And this is true in all aspects of life. Talk to a husband and a wife whose marriage isn't built on biblical principles, and they will tell you about angst and frustration and anger. Talk about work, approaching your work and your job from a not-biblical perspective— and this is the guys who, who I know who they hate what they do, but they're going to do it for 40 years so they don't have to do it anymore. Like anytime we approach all of life apart from an understanding of how God has designed it to work, it will always equal frustration and anxiety and legitimate struggle and angst within the individual. And so the best thing we can do is say to someone, this is how God has designed the world to be, not oh, we'll just keep feeding the lie to you because that'll make it better because it doesn't make it better. And I would argue that those two men that came to the school in grade eight to say, oh, I've never been happier, they were both probably lying. They were lying, but they understood that they needed to push a worldview because it was because they were hoping that maybe this would make them feel better about the, the, the legitimate turmoil inside of them. And, and not so. Um, and when we think about that, and you know, Matt, I want to, I want to come back to you. We are approaching the one year anniversary of biblical sexuality sermon Sunday. And this year, our desire at the Liberty Coalition Canada is we want to have two, three, four, five times as many men in churches being bold and preaching on this because we see that the, the odds are stacked even more against us whether it's internet censorship bills, whether it's churches or pregnancy care centers having funding or maybe charitable status pulled from them because they won't affirm a radical gender ideology. And so we're coming up to the one-year anniversary of this now, and we want to encourage and challenge more men and churches to be bold and to preach on a biblical sexual ethic. How would you challenge? How would you encourage? What would you say to pastors, to churches that maybe last year they didn't do it because they thought, oh, it's too costly. Maybe they wrestled with it. Maybe it's nowhere on their radar. So they have your ear now. They thought about it last year, but they didn't, or they weren't even considering it at all. What would you say to them in light of what you've experienced in this last year? You know, the, the the fruit is so worth the cost. That's what I would say. Like, like I just look back. I mean, we're talking about Sarah, but, you know, we got testimony after testimony after testimony of things that happen in our church by being open. Um, the sweetness of fellowship. You hear different pastors talk about this, the sweetness of worship, the sweetness of the word of God being declared. Um, 
watching God work. And, and so, I, I mean, the fruit that comes forth from just seeking to be faithful, um, you know, the word, the word of God does the work of God. We, we absolutely believe that. Like, you know, in our church, we are constantly telling our church, we love the written word because the written word leads us to the living word. And we want and desire personal relationship with Jesus. He is to be Lord of all. And so that happens as we faithfully proclaim the word of God and point people to Christ. And all I can say is, um, I, I'm not really concerned about whatever costs are associated in the future with that. I think the Lord has like built into his church a sense of resolve over the last two years um, where we as pastors have had to, to, to wrestle through issues and matters of conscience and theology and ecclesiology and what the church is and what our role is in culture and society. And... Um, the church has the responsibility, pastors have the responsibility to faithfully proclaim the word of God. And so I would just encourage pastors, uh, churches, elders, man, you, uh, there, there can be, there could be a cost in the future. I think there probably will be some cost associated with different bills coming down. But man, I, um, the fruit will come. And uh, God will honor himself and he'll honor his name and he will look after his own glory if we'll seek to be, you know, just faithful to proclaim his word. And so I would encourage pastors, if you've been sitting on the fence, uh, join in, participate in that 100%. Amazing. Stephen Laurie, as parents who have gone through, you know, this, this whole experience, um, what, what kind of words of wisdom would you could you give to our listeners as parents who have gone through this journey with Sarah, uh, both uh, during her uh, the transition phase and then also this detransition phase? What are some kind of words that you could give give to parents to help them think through these issues in a God honoring way? Uh, my advice first would be realize that. Your spouse has their own point of view on it, and you might not necessarily be right either. Uh, so one of one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that uh, my wife, being a woman, has a different outlook on it, and me being a man, I have a different outlook on it. So work together and realize that you do have differences, but that should make you united stronger uh so that was that was the first lesson <laughs> uh and, and uh don't we're under a spiritual attack uh there i mean people parents need to wake up they're 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 butchering our children they're chemically castrating them they're putting and they don't even ask us permission they just do these things so this is we need parents to wake up and realize this this is not okay our our children need protection the 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 churches need to step up and and tell the truth and proclaim the truth which will help parents encourage uh their children as well and it it was hard for us and we we've uh we were very confused when Sarah decided that she was going to be Dean and it was uh, a, a new culture that we had to educate ourselves on and look into. And we went from just a few short years ago of Sarah missing a trip to Vancouver zoo because she didn't have a permission slip signed. Uh, then all of a sudden to them giving her hormones and surgery without any written permission at all uh, and she was encouraged to keep us out of the loop if we weren't supportive um, so make sure that your child first off understands how much you love them and that that love is unconditional and that you only have their best interest at heart and that maybe they should start to second guess all of this overwhelming love and support that they're getting from these other people um, that that uh, especially aren't Christian and have uh, their their agenda um, to corrupt children. And when Sarah detransitioned, 
she was cut out of everything. So they were happy to medicate her. They were happy to give her surgery and they were happy to embrace her. But the moment she questioned, she was casted out and all of her support was gone. They won't help her come back from the changes that they've done. Uh, they won't cover any costs. Uh, they're not helping her in a mental state either. And a lot of our friends and family were telling us how brave and courageous we were uh, to support a trans child. And my wife and I were mm. very confused because we were thinking we're not brave. We're, we're sick to our stomachs. We're nauseous about it. We don't know what to say. Uh, and everybody acted like we were just these, these great parents. And we felt like, no, we're not, we're not, standing our ground we're not saying no we're we but at the same time we saw that the more you push the further you your child will leave uh mm. so and you don't want to push your child away when there's somebody on the other side with the open arms um right a community yeah. that's willing to accept the change like that so and they are trying to turn your your kids against you is is very very tough to walk that line of trying to be faithful to the Bible and to the Word, but not push your child away and make them think you don't care about them at the same time. There will be costs. Um, we've lost friends and family due to this. Uh, they were all happy for Sarah um, as Dean, and now that she has detransitioned, they believe that we've guilted her with the Bible, um, but that's not the case. We let Sarah decide for Sarah. Uh, we encouraged her with, with the Bible. So my, my advice to parents is just work together as a team and educate yourself on what it is that your child is going through because they are so confused, so, so, so confused. And it's intoxicating that, that uh, other scene where they're embracing them and loving them. And, and uh, it's, you have to realize that they are intoxicated with that. And all you can do is pray a lot and ask the Lord to guide you with how you talk to your child and be united with your, your spouse and be very supportive, understanding, and don't push them away. Um, that's, that's important. It, and I can't help but think like Christian parents would be well served to like de Disneyfy our children by saying the the advice of follow your heart wherever it leads is terribly unbiblical advice because as Jeremiah seventeen nine says the human heart is deceitful above all things. In fact, it's so wicked, it asks the question, who can even discern its intentions? You can't even possibly understand what you're thinking uh, because your the direction of your fallen human heart is not towards God and his good design, but on the, on the contrary. So I think that would help. Sarah, before I let Andrew jump in to la ask you the last question, I just want to say... From your perspective, your parents said, stick with your child, you know, love them. Y you know, you guys encouraged her with the Bible. You didn't smash her over the head with it or, you know, throw her into the, uh, like, loving arms of the LGBT community because you didn't want to be in her life because of this. From your perspective, Sarah... I'm sure there was times of absolute hardship and disagreement with your parents, all those things. Maybe can you give parents a word of encouragement? What did your parents now looking back do right in this situation? How did they love you despite these disagreements? Well, no matter what, they were always by my side. And while they might have not supported what I was doing, they always supported me, and that says more than anything, and I think they they played a, a gentle hand in my life, which was, you know, it was really all they could do, which was talking to me, giving me more information, a little thing from the Bible here and there, or whenever I had questions with just anything. And it's, it's just, it's so important that you don't 
push your child enough to be separated from them because it's like in this world, once your child is separated from you, you don't really have a chance. And it's like, you got to find a middle ground with them somehow, just so they're still with you. And one of the things I really did want to get out there is something that had always reassured me that shouldn't have, as a lot of the trans community would say, oh, there's less than 1% that detransition, but how do they have that statistic? Because I certainly know that I did not go back to any clinic that took partook in what happened to me because I never want to go back there again. And I can say that is probably for all the other detransitioners if they're not stuck in the it's too late for me state. And when the, the suicide rate for them goes up by four times, at least after surgery, that's what is said. And if those people really did follow through with that. They're not going back to those clinics either to say, hey, I'm detransitioning. How do they have this statistic? And there's going to be so much more of people like me coming up and speaking out or not even wanting to speak out because of this. And now they're just shoving these views into the schools because I think a lot of these people maybe they've been hurt or felt hurt by religion, but they just, they don't understand how much we love them and are just trying to help them and how much God loves them. And I think love from family is really, really important here, but not the blinded love. Because if you truly love your kid, you're going to sit down with them and be like, hey, help me understand where you're coming from. I want to support you, but I don't know how I feel about this, you know? I think it's just important that you're not just going with the flow of it all. And I also think it's important that, like, I just gotta question the government, like, I gotta say, like, what is, what is this? Why? I know it's for the money. It has to be. That's the only explanation I can think of. And you, you don't let a kid drive before 16. Why would you put them on hormone blockers at 13 or 14? Why would you put them on life-changing hormones at 15? Why would you let them have a mastectomy at 16 and then as soon as they are done and go into a clinic why would you put a paper for bottom surgery in their hand because that's what they did to me and it is just it is not right on so many levels and it's just awful because the parents can't do anything they have no say in it and once they raise any concern that might come off as a little too aggressive or too I don't know. It's just this community will like make them enemies. That's what they tried to do. They tried to separate the kid from their family. And it's, it's not that people just, the kids need to understand how much their parents care about them and that the parents are looking towards the future. Whereas these doctors are just looking at the paycheck that's going to be in their hand once they follow through with this for that kid. That's that's all it is. Well, Sarah, that I mean, that's basically the last question I was going to ask, and so you took the <laughs> yeah. question out of my mouth, which is which is great. Seriously, which is for for children, for teenagers who are legitimately struggling with confusion about their gender, about their sexuality. You know, what what do they need to know? What do they need to remember? And you've you, you've touched on those things that their parents care about them far more than this quote-unquote community does, um, that God cares for the good and well-being of them as well, to not believe the narrative that's being spun, to not believe the story because it's clearly not actually about their well-being. There's something more nefarious at play. Uh, and I think those are all exactly exactly why I was going to ask that last question. Um, I'll kind of close off our time by saying 
so all of us are going to prison, right? We are all clearly, <laughs> we're all clearly, we've all violated Bill C4 many, many times, yeah. um, whether it's personally to someone or just in the, ge ge the generic sense of what we should and shouldn't be doing. So I want to make sure, however, um, that I get to the cell first, that I want to, I want to, I want to heap up a few extra charges upon myself so that I can warm the seat for the rest of you guys when you get there. And I want, I want to boil down this, this interview in this episode to, to a few things taking from what you, you all have said. First of all, pastors, uh, grow a spine, Stop letting the state dictate what your church does. They, they don't have that authority. And don't believe the lie that by doing things their way, you will be well thought of and liked by the world. They will always hate you because you align yourself with Christ. And so do what the Lord commands. And I would encourage you as well, be bold in joining us for this one-year anniversary and preaching on a biblical sexual ethic. And if you're afraid of the cost, well, following Jesus is about costliness is about taking up your cross and it's about loving him more than anyone else and so be be a man of courage and conviction uh, and if you're not going to speak to this issue and if you're going to say oh it's too volatile um you just close your church uh close your church and, and and step down because you've clearly handed over the keys of the kingdom to to the state that ultimately takes his cue from Satan. So that would be the first thing to put me in a bunch of bad books. The second thing would be uh, parents out there, you need to fight for your children. Um, you know, don't, Steve, you talked about why is it they're coming for our children, and the answer is simple. They can't have their own children. How can they? They are, they are denying and rejecting the God-ordained way that we produce children. And so they're either saying... No, no, no. Men are going to be with men. Women are going to be with women, which, I mean, I'm not a biologist, but that doesn't produce kids. And they're also saying to children, through medical, chemical means, prevent you from having kids. So they can't have their own children. And so where will they get children to further their agenda? Where will they get children to press this worldview? They're going to take them from us. Uh, we're the ones who are reproducing children. We're the ones who are doing what God commands us to do. And so parents, you need to fight for your children. They are coming for your kids because they can't have their own. And so I would also say, by way of suggestion, uh, get your kids out of government Marxist indoctrination centers and take seriously the charge to train them up yourself, whether that's good homeschooling, good classical Christian schools, uh, but don't throw your kids to the wolves and think that after eight hours of being indoctrinated, you're going to be able to undo it with a five-minute conversation over dinner. Like, that's just not—you need to fight for your kids because they want your kids, because this is how they further their agenda. Uh, and for those who, again, are legitimately struggling and suffering with this, understand that God doesn't make mistakes— that sin in the world affects all of us and it affects us all very differently. And there, are, every single person is born into a body where they have desires that don't line up with how God has made their lives to be. We all wrestle with this in various ways. This is why Jesus says you must be born again. You must be born again. You must turn from your sin and you must turn from being in charge of your own life and you must pursue Christ. You must obey him, you must love him and serve him, that he provides life more abundant, that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And so this is a call to turn from these lies which are harmful to Christ, the only source of joy, the only source of meaning, and really the only source of true purpose that we find in an otherwise chaotic world full of demons and gargoyles who would want to mar the image of God in us. We fight for truth. Matt, Scott, Lori, Sarah, I am so, so thankful. Um, it's not Scott, it's Steve. I'm going to say that again. I don't know why I thought Scott. I'm going to say that again. I'm like, it's not Scott, it's Steve. What am I doing? Let me say that again. I'm like, is there a Scott somewhere in there? Okay. Um, I messed up. That's fair enough. Matt, Steve, Lori, Sarah, I really am very thankful that you guys took the time to join us 
today and, and to share about your stories and your experience and, and, and the common ground we share is that God is good and merciful, his word is true, and it's always better when we conform our life to his standards and his commands. And so I've been thoroughly blessed by our time together and by hearing about this story of God's mercy shown to you. Uh, and I'm, I'm hopeful that this, this episode and also the work that we will continue to do will produce more life change and more good fruit. Uh, and, and I trust that this will be an example of the Lord using this to bear more fruit. He's going to use the pain and the suffering and he's going to use all of it that in the moment seems like there's no going back and what's the point and what's the use. Uh, the Lord will use this and he will bear fruit. Lives will be changed and, and we will we will see good come out of this and the Lord will be glorified. And so Andrew, I'm, Andrew. I'm encouraged by it. At times like this, I am so glad that water is thicker than blood, that we are all united in Christ through the waters of baptism. I'm, I'm encouraged to be a part of the family of faith with all of you, um, regardless of your stories, regardless of your backgrounds. Matt, so thankful for your faithfulness and yeah. serving your church. And uh, Horbax, we're so thankful that you came on and had the... Just the courage to share your story, Sarah, the courage to confront your sin and conform your life to Christ. I mean, it's so encouraging. It still brings me to tears that I'm so I will be glad. I will praising the be praising the Lord to sit in in uh, prison cells with all y'all if if that that's what it <laughs> comes down to. So <laughs> so thank you so much uh, for, for for coming on the program. Thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. We really hope this story blesses you, encourages you, and really highlights the faithfulness of Christ in redeeming sinners and turning them into saints. Andrew, what an amazing blessing it was to uh, be joined by Pastor Matt mm -hmm. Rowan and the Harback family and to hear this amazing story of God's amazing grace that came just as, as Pastor Matt hit on each and every time. It was just by you making use of the ordinary means of grace that God has set up for the changing and transformation of people's lives. And mm -hmm. um, I'm so glad that we could hear this story that as the LCC, we could play but a small part in in that in um, through our interview with uh, Dr. John MacArthur, getting Matt on board to preach on this topic and then Unbeknownst to him, the power of the word and the spirit working in uh, Sarah's live, life and just the amazing transformation we were able to hear. And it was just an amazing blessing to be a small part of God using um, his ordinary means of grace for the transformation of individuals. And that is the reason we do something like this initiative, Biblical Sexuality Sunday. We really want all you pastors out there, all across Canada, and let's say all across the world, because we know we had so many participants from across the world last year to partake in something like this, because the fruit of being faithful and preaching the, the entire Word of God is something like this. It's it's changed lives, it's changed minds, and ultimately, all glory goes to God for doing this. But if you would like to participate in Biblical Sexuality Sunday for the year 2023, we're doing it on January 15. We would encourage you pastors to go over to our website, libertycoalitioncanada.com and click on the tabs that, that will bring you to the Biblical Sexuality Sunday. That's for you to correspond, to sign up, to post sermons, to interact with what we have going on there. Because again, after one year of doing this initiative, 
we were able to do the very thing that our antichrist government didn't want us to do, and that is to preach the efficacious word of God for the transformation of lives. And that is something that we are just... I said it during the interview, Andrew, I just wept at this story. And, you know, I'm so appreciative for for Pastor Matt's faithfulness and for uh, the Rowan family to come forward in boldness and truth and, and tell their story. It really is an amazing, amazing story that I'm so glad we get to share with our audience. And we hope for more fruit, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we want to say share that, share this interview, please, with everyone. Yeah. Share this interview with all your friends, with your pastors, with Christian friends, for a couple reasons. One, to show them the fruit of what came out of last year, mm-hmm. to encourage them, to challenge them, and to invite them to join in again this year, and to see the, indeed, life-transforming power of the Word of God. Right? We're not just talking silly talk here. This the People's <laughs> lives are actually changed when the Word of God is preached with authority and with conviction. So... Mm-hmm. Please share this episode with as many people as possible. Yeah. Tell your pastor, tell everyone about Biblical Sexuality Sunday on January 15th. And again, you pastors, you preachers, if you join in that, fill out the form, upload your name, your church name, and a link to the sermon that you preached on the 15th uh, so that we can continue to, to do this good work together. Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning in. Galatians 5. One. Thanks for tuning in to Liberty Dispatch, a united front to restore liberty and justice in Canada. Please subscribe to our podcast and Rumble channel, as well as visit our website at www.libertycoalitioncanada.com.